Hey, it's Quincy with Man vs. Marriage. Welcome to part three of our story in our words. I really hope you enjoy this three-part series, and it is the catalyst to who we are, what we're about, and why we are doing this, and how we can help you. Enjoy part three. I look forward to your feedback. Hope you're out there getting great things done. Have a great day. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Marriage. The podcast. Hunter's diagnosis didn't come until after the last pregnancy. We got we got the first diagnosis. Um, Hannah's was the first. And then we didn't get Hunter's until I was pregnant with Mo because he was in kindergarten. We had finally, we were trying to homeschool him. It didn't work. We put him on campus. I remember because we had taken um, Kirsten and Hannah down. Hannah was getting a recheck with a new doctor. And um, they were almost five. Hannah had already been diagnosed. We were just trying to get the proper paperwork because we were getting ready to put them into school. Hunter was in school having ear surgeries. I was pregnant with Mo. And um, I remember the doctor checking out Hannah and was like, oh, yeah, she's definitely, you know, mild to to moderate. And um, but the one you need to worry about is the one over there on the bench. And it was Kiki. She was watching the trees in the window. They had light-up toys. They had noises going off. They had all kinds of things happening, and Kirsten never batted an eye, never flinched. She just sat there rocking with the trees back and forth, and that hit like a freaking ton of bricks Yeah, because Kiki had been developing fine. She, it, I mean, she was really... I mean, she was finally hitting her milestones. The only one that was really behind in milestones was Hannah, and that was just because she had so many brain surgeries that her brain was having to catch up yeah. with everything that was going on. And then, you know, the the autism diagnosis for her, it hurt, but I think we kind of expected that there was going to be some blowback from all of the surgeries. We had been warned, but everything that they had told us she would never do, Hannah had already done it. Yeah. So we were just kind of like, yeah, okay, this isn't going to be, you know, a major issue with her. The issue with her was the shunt. It wasn't the autism. The autism is is um, it plays a part now, because there there are certain maturity things that are different. But growing up, she's always been really super smart. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really a major concern for us at the time. But Kirsten went from meeting all of her milestones to talking clearly to you know she didn't like to be touched. She didn't like to be around other people a whole lot. But she just did a complete 360 over a short couple of months. And then to get the diagnosis, we're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. And now she is literally stuck at four years old. Yeah, it's like um, it's like driving down the highway and you get a flat tire, you know, going 65, 70 miles an hour. And it's like, oh, you, you can kind of keep it on the road. But then you have two major blowouts in the front tire and it all happens while you're going 70, it was like, 
you know, we knew this tire right here might blow. We decided to take the trip anyway, diagnosis one. But the other diagnosis in the same moment is like two other tires blowing out. Yeah. And then Hunter's, <laughs> Hunter's was an accident when we got his diagnosis too, simply because um, Hunter's hard of hearing. So a lot of the symptoms of autism fall under typical behaviors of someone who's hard of hearing as a child. You know, frustrations, tantrums, um, having stimming behaviors, being overly sensitive to sound and light. Um, the other thing that comes with being hard of hearing is your other senses kind of take over because they need to be stronger. Well, when you had autism to that, which we didn't know, you don't have an auditory processor. You don't have a visual processor. You're kind of just fighting through whatever you can get when both machines are broken. Yeah. We didn't know. He was eight years old before we figured out that he was autistic, and that just, I that took the wind out of everything. I mean, yeah. that, that was like, okay, all four tires are gone. We are full-on spinning down the highway, and there is nothing stopping this wreck. Yeah, we went into a barrel roll at that point. And the and the reason, I, I, I know this episode is long, and we're going to cut it into a few different parts, but the reason that I want you to hear our story is, A, we just need to take the opportunity to tell our story. together in our own words and B so that you understand where we have been and what we weren't always here (laughs) right and and what we have come through and that's not the last bit of adversity and it's and I and we're not telling you this adversity for a woe is me we're not you know playing a song of take pity on us this is just our story and in the middle of all these other things you know we're we're bouncing from church to church um, one of these, one of these things just, we just decided to leave a church because these people that had sexually abused, um, our kids, we were both a part of the same church mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, we just can't be here anymore. We got to leave. That was part of it. The The other family left, um, the, the, the family that hurt our children was asked to leave. So we were allowed to continue to go. It wasn't just that. It was the lack of support. It was the ostracization of us because I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Yeah, we were like ostracized we, in we, a way. We were right. not allowed to talk about what happened with other church members because it would affect the church. Okay, but if you've ever been through something traumatic, you know, and it anything the loss of a child a child being molested a divorce somebody cheating on you you need to talk yeah that's how you get through it you speak and you process and then you get an outside voice that maybe just maybe has a perspective you haven't thought of that's how this stuff works to be told we could only speak to that one person if we were to talk about it that no one else was to know about it and then to find out all leadership knew about it. It became the talk of the town. And it was like, okay, not to be rude, but I know these people and certain ones I already knew had talked to their families because their families were part of the church and they wanted to make sure that their children were safe. Just because they're in leadership doesn't mean they're going to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. So when I started getting little hints here and there, I became butthurt because you told me to shut up. And now all these people are talking about my kids. Mm-hmm. If there is one thing you have learned about me, my husband and my children are a no-go zone for anybody. 
That is the one place I will turn 100% complete and total bitch. And I have no remorse. She'll come and get your those, AWS. <laughs> those, my, my children, because of how hard it was for us to get there and because of all the struggles we've been through, everybody says their kids are precious. Everybody loves their children. I get that. But I have such a beast mentality when it comes to people hurting them. I think I think that's a motherly thing I, in general. Well, I really Mama I Bear really, is an understatement. I think yeah. I've got a Wolverine hiding in there somewhere. But. Yeah, and and so what we did was we just got out of church, and then you know, if there's any positive that can come out of those terrible situations, that's what we decided to go to your aunt and uncle's church. My uncle, <laughs> I got okay. So I had I was going to my uncle's church when Quincy and I met. This was the complete 180 from the the two places, but. When I called my uncle, I hadn't talked to him. My my family is not really close at that time. And I called him and, um, yeah, and he, that's why I love him. He's like me. He doesn't bullshit. Why are you calling me? You never talk to me. Why are you calling me? Yeah. And I was like, okay, here's the situation. And I laid it out. And the first thing he told me was I would go after them for everything they're worth. He's like, if that was me and that was my child, I would go after them for everything I could possibly get. Not money punishment yeah because these are my kids and i in that split second it was just he understands me Mm -hmm. he's not telling me he the the first thing we were told from the other position the other pastor was we needed to learn to forgive immediately that was the response is you need to forgive okay hannah plug your ears fuck that not happening yes you can put the e on this one here goes right (laughs) e for explicit these are, th- there's no way. I was not in the headspace that I was going to forgive these people right away. I don't, I don't care who you are. Something like that, you don't just turn around and go, well, I know you did wrong and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to do my best to just let it go. No, I was pissed and I needed to go through being pissed. Yeah. I was. needed to process that. Right. You needed to process that. I needed to go back and make sure that I felt like my kids were safe. Mm-hmm. And the first thing my uncle said was, I know where you're at. Be mad. Go take care of what needs to be taken care of and then bring them here so we can love on them. Man, that was, ever. that was, and it was never, he never ever came at me and said, you need to forgive this. The only time that ever came up was two years later. He came up to me. We were um, doing a, prayer thing and he said I know that you know what I'm talking about it's time to let it go Mm. nobody else knew nobody else could have known but that is all the difference for me between where we were and where we needed to be if you can't understand me I am not going to hear you I just I won't I, I don't I never understood and even to this day, that same pastor, we run into him a couple of times. <laughs> we ran into him probably about a year, almost a year ago. I was taking somebody over there and he's like, whoa, long time no see. And I didn't mean to, but it was just like, yeah, there's a reason for that. That was the last conversation we've had, but it's it's still there. I've forgiven it, but I cannot forget that you basically right. swept my kids under the rug. I can't let that go. I can forgive you for how you treated us. I can forgive you for what the words that you spoke. 
what I cannot do is forget that you had an agenda that was more important than seeing to the need of a person who was clearly broken. I mean, yeah. we were shattered at that point. And the, you know, another hard thing was, is that I don't feel like justice was served at all. No. There was no, there was no justice there for our children as far as the system goes. Um, and that was, that was deeply, deeply wounding, <clears throat> you know, um, so we, though all those things happening, and then you know, during those times, getting ready to lose our house, tons of adversity in my work. It was just like the world felt like it was crashing down on us, and and at that point, you know, there was already, there was already with the adversity, and resentment and pain, the whole Alabama thing, and. People you calling know. CPS on us because they didn't understand jack shit about what goes on in our house. Oh, yeah. it's just a stir. And, <laughs> you know, we, just by circumstance, had started drifting apart. And thank God that we ended up at, at Bill and Rita's church because that revolutionized my life, period. Just aside from the faith side of it, the people side of it really just revolutionary it's a it's a debt of gratitude for my entire life that i don't know i could ever repay to bill and rita Mm-mm. and then you know that whole church family was just jack and the gusbeth family. oh my god dude i miss jack so much if he listens to this i miss you yeah jack was like the big brother i never knew i had yeah and when we had um i think my turning point because he was always the one that would catch me. He's the only person, and I, I can honestly attest that he's the only person who could come up to me at any given moment in church, put his hand on my shoulder and pray for me, and I never flinched. Yeah. Other people would come up and touch me. It's like, who the hell is that? What are you doing? I never felt that with Jack, ever. Yeah. But I knew there was something about him that was just different for me. Jack was a protector to me. Yeah. And I, I just knew that. And for me, if you've listened to previous shows, one of my biggest things, I have to feel safe. I have to. So when we had, um, there was a couple of times that, that we had to talk to him, but the biggest impact for me was when we had Hannah was in Lancaster. Gracie was in, um, UCLA. Gracie had an infection in her hip. We didn't know what the hell was going on. It just came out of nowhere and blindsided us. We thought she wasn't going to be able to walk. I mean, we were, we were, exploratory exploratory everything trying to figure out what happened because she got an infection in the hip bone and we didn't we didn't know what we were up against and um while I was at UCLA Quincy was at home working he's driving back and forth to you know every other day just to check in and make sure that I was still stable and we get this phone call from the house that Hannah had a seizure and she was, her nurse was there. We, we had an in-home nurse and we had somebody babysitting the kids. And our whole house went into a tailspin because Quincy was with me in L.A. Yeah. And if and, you don't know anything about Southern California, just to jump in there real quick, UCLA is like right off the 405, probably one of the worst freeways. It's the biggest parking lot known to man when you live in it. Yeah. And it was like, it was like four in the afternoon and we had just gotten a rundown from... 
like the CDC, what was going on, the CDC group at UCLA Hospital mm-hmm. for Gracie, and we were just trying to, to process what she was going through, and then to get a call that, you know, Hannah had a seizure, they're rushing her to the hospital, probably going to airlift her to UCLA because it's another shunt issue. Yeah. It was, it was go time. And it was, um, I made two calls. I text my mom because I couldn't even speak. And I told her, I, I remember the text, Mama, I need you. Within 10 seconds, she's calling Quincy's phone. What's going on? So he's giving her the rundown because I can't choke through what's going on. I just got told that Gracie might not walk. We're getting ready to do a major surgery to find out if she can. She already has CP. So all of these things are just kind of snowballing at the same time. Hannah's had a seizure. Nobody can tell me. The, the people that were with her couldn't explain to me exactly what they saw. Now, being us, I know what her seizures look like, and I know which ones are the shunt. Mm-hmm. I just, it's something that, unfortunately, we've learned. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm looking at. Um, and we know the symptoms. There were no headaches. There were no previous symptoms. It was just all of a sudden, her shunt got clogged. It stopped working. There was, nobody had any precursor to what was happening, but no one was there that could stay with her. They had to stay with the kids. There were seven other bodies or six other bodies in the house that had to be watched. And so immediately I was like, you know what? Um, Quincy called and talked to Bill and Rita. Bill and Rita were in in limbo somewhere trying to figure out if they could change their schedule. And just out of the blue, I called Jack. It's like, Jack, I need you. This is what's going on. Hannah's had a seizure. We can't get there. We're on the road. Bill and Rita aren't available. I need somebody there when she opens her eyes who A, understands what they're looking at, and B, she'll relax. She knows you. He worked out at the Air Force Base. He literally dropped what he was doing, got off Mm -hmm. the phone with me, left his job, didn't even get, he told me, he says, I just told him I had an emergency and I was out. There was no other explanation. Called his wife, who was 25 minutes away because <laughs> of drive time, and had her go to the hospital so that somebody was there to meet Hannah. And then by the time everything happened, we got here in time to get her set up for airlift and all this stuff. But this was a guy who didn't, he didn't have to. And I didn't think at the time that we were that close, but it was just that moment of he would know what to do. Mm-hmm. And he keeps me safe. He'll keep her safe. And that just shifted everything. And then about a year later, when his son had a major seizure and some stuff happened, it was that moment between me and him where it was just like, you know what? He kept saying, you would think this gets easier. And I was like, no, dude, it never gets easier. You just learn what to expect and how to process through it. But it never gets easier. And both of us in that moment just went, damn. Like somebody gets me. You understand yeah. you understand what I'm facing. It's not not everybody can do that on that that level. But he's one of those people that that's probably one of those anchors that will never ever go away for me. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that that whole church family was just so different from what we came from because the previous place everybody believed that they got to discipline not not like spank your kids but they got to tell your kids what to do they got to correct their behavior they got to do the whole you know um for lack of a better word in my own terms I call it holier than thou because you can tell my kid they can't act this way but your kid can act that way kind of crap and um 
I didn't like it. I had people coming in our house and telling, you shouldn't have Care Bears in your house because they're evil and you shouldn't let your kids watch this or that because of whatever religious voodoo crocka they had in their head. Yeah. And getting back to our original roots, so to speak, in the, that particular family church, they were so different. It was like they came to us asking about Kirsten. Okay, we want to include her in what we're doing. How do we do that? Yeah. Kirsten is the odd man out. Nobody ever wanted to include Kirsten because Kirsten is just too difficult to deal with. Yeah. Her mood swings and her tantrums and her inability to understand and adapt to people. I mean, people ran from us. Yeah. Because they couldn't deal with it. And I I don't blame them. I get it. Yeah. Dude, if we could have ran away, we probably would have several times. But this particular group came straight to us. We're going to have a party. We understand Kirsten has allergies and there's certain foods that interact with her brain differently. What can we get her? Not, hey, can you bring me something? What can we do? And it was just a totally different mentality. Yeah. You know, if she was loud in the back of the church, Bill never told me to make her be quiet. I know. Other places we were at, it was like, you got these dirty looks. You had people that would ushers that would come and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, why don't you take her back in this room? Yeah. You know? And it was like, Bill always, always, it used to crack me up. Kirsten would be in the back of the room and all of a sudden she would start cracking up and right in the middle of a sermon, he would turn over and go, I think it's funny too, Keeks. And he would just keep right on going. Like it just didn't even matter. Yep. And it kept everybody else from. There's people, there's people, it was for us more than anybody. I know he would make those comments. I, I believe that. And maybe for other people too, but the Enos family, the Gusbeth family, the Jasperson family, the Tracy family, they those are those are those are people who make lifelong impressions on our story. Mm-hmm. And um just what 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 they did to make us a part of that family and that that was a major that was a major game changer because then it led us through all that trauma into you know and that without that we don't get to how do we get here yeah now, and and one of one of the stories we left we just left out of there was uh when Kirsten aspirated after her tonsils and oh, just God. went went flatline in a trauma room and had a trauma team working on her. So there, the level of adversity, and we're leaving out tons of details because we just, the idea here is this is part of our story, and we had a decision at a certain point. And that decision was, do we try to make this thing work or do we move on? We, with all the adversity that we faced and all of the different variables... None of this is to say, you know, feel sorry for us or to go back. And I am not one of those people that would say I wouldn't change a thing because I'd be lying through my freaking teeth. There are a lot of things that I would change. However, I will not depreciate the value of what we learned Mm -hmm. going through all these things. But the fact of the matter is, in those first 10, 12 years, we lost a lot of that beginning priority and emotional connection and rebelliousness and all of these things that all just got squashed because life happened and it happened so damn fast we couldn't keep up 
And the only way to, to keep up was get your few hours of sleep, get a little bit of food in your system, and go out the next day. There was no um, middle ground. But we were both at that place where so much was missing that we had to come to a conclusion. Are we going to stay together and fight this and figure it out? Or are we just going to separate and you do your thing and I'll do mine and we'll meet somewhere in the middle with the kids? And it took several decisions on our side. Yeah. You know, Quincy had to, he had certain things he wanted to change about himself and things that he didn't like about himself. And um, he, like we always say, he can flip a switch and he can just go. Once he sees something and he's determined that's what he wants, he just goes. I can flip the switch, but I can also see every freaking speed bump I'm going to hit on the way. So I go really slow. Well, and and that's true, but that's that that too works out so well for us because I can move too fast and you can and, true. and you can move too slow. And there were other there were other variables that kind of brought this right around to where it was because you know my mom was working with my sister who was going through a very a very tough time and working with her mother who was very sick and yeah. then ended up passing away. So she. <clears throat> She wasn't isolated from us, but she just maybe wasn't as available because she had a big thing happening in her life. And then your parents moved to Idaho. They moved to Idaho. They were dealing with cancer. Then they were dealing with heart failure. And then, so what that did was that kind of forced us. We had nowhere else to go but us. To rely on each other. Yeah. And that was a turning point for us. And then. We got to, in within the church, we got to, uh, you know, this Living Life by Design course where it's our first taste of, like, self-development See, came in. And I think that's kind of one of the things that's really cool about the both of us. We both like to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's something that, that we gravitate to, we love to learn about it. And it, there, for me and him, it's so many different conversations or different subjects, but it doesn't matter. When this one came about, um, we both wanted to do it. We were both excited to do it because the way that it originally came about, it was like self-awareness, but it was also, you know, getting you past your funk, getting you over your fears and developing you into the person you want to be. And at the time, Quincy was aspiring to be a manager and to move forward in his career. And he was at at kind of a rough road. He didn't know where to go with it. I was just trying to figure out who the hell I was because Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember. Yeah. I was so, at the time, if you asked me who I was, I mean, you can ask Quincy. At the time. Shut up. How about today? No. At the time, if you asked me who I was, I was that mom, Mm -hmm. and I was your wife, Coach Quincy's wife. I didn't have a name. I didn't have a personality. I was those two people. The only personality that they knew of that mom was I was the person that was up your ass getting my kids every service they needed, and if you didn't have the answer for me, I was going to find it for you and give it to you. That's all anybody knew of me. Or I was Coach Quincy's wife. At your work, I was your wife, the one that takes care of all the kids. That mm. That's who I was. I had no identity. Yeah. And we went into this thing looking for that, and we found a lot of who I was hidden underneath there. Boy, that, re- that rebel part came back real fast because yeah. I, um, I had some major trust issues in that thing. Yeah, and it, it set the course for who we currently are 
because we had to come up with in this, if you've never been a part of any kind of like personal development in this particular um, modules, you know, that we called it the first one, you had to come up with a power statement of some sort or a new statement. And, and you I, had to make everybody else believe it. Right. You had to tell a room full of people <laughs> this statement and they would, it was a great exercise. You had to change the atmosphere in the room and convince people that you were what this statement was. And my statement, which is profound to me today, is I am a new man. And yours... Strong and powerful woman. And it was... Um, I still remember doing that, too. God, I hated that exercise. Yeah, I was I was nervous about it because I believed I was a new man. Um, but there were people who wanted to make me sweat. So they, even though they believed me early on, you know, but... That is what brought us a step closer to meeting with Coach Rita because we had done marriage counseling before, and it fell flat because that, the, the the guy that we did the marriage counseling with, my I, it was during that time where I was really frustrated about Alabama, and his assessment was, "You're stupid." I'm stupid, <laughs> and it's like, well, wow, that is brilliant. Thanks, man. This has been very productive. And uh, I can't wait to not ever come back and see Screw you again. Screw you very much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Screw you, Bilbo. Um, uh -huh. Because I don't. I was just so concrete then, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, but you know, we were able to move past the the Alabama situation, and then Jeannie was doing some one on one coaching. I did and, that after um, yeah, the modules. After, yeah. I did. We did the modules. We did the. Um, the make everybody believe your statement. Quincy's went over way better than mine did. I remember that. I mean, there was a couple of guys, Jack and, and Bill, I think, wanted to make you sweat it out. That was Tom. Oh, was it? Yeah. And uh, But when we got to mine, and that, that was part of what spun us into me coaching with Rita was I didn't worry about anybody else in the room. I focused on you and you only, and I got you to sit down first. And it took me five tries to get you to sit down. To stand up. No. We were all sitting. They, You had to stand up when you believed eh. it. Vice versa, whatever. Don't let the facts get in the way. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but Rita noticed after the fact. She's like, because, you know, of course, Rita's Rita. Her and Tina both were Always like. Always observing. Were, you know, did you notice that you focused on this, that, or the other? Did you notice that people did what you wanted them to do when you made eye contact? Did you notice it was a change in the voice? Did you, that was like constantly making you aware of different things that you did to get people to believe what you were saying. I didn't, I didn't focus on any of that. Rita and Tina both said, did you notice that she did not focus on anybody else until Quincy responded? And that, you know, that was like, why do you feel that way? It's like, because if he doesn't believe who I am, what does it matter what anybody else thinks? And it didn't click until um, Rita and I got into coaching. My my coaching with the uh, life of design, whatever the crap you just called it, um, it didn't go well. There was a breach of, of trust there, and it didn't go well. And so I started to shut myself down. But I was at a place where I was starting to make headway, and I wanted to make headway. So Rita and I got together, and Rita said, I'll take over. If you want to come to me, I'll help you do it. Not a problem. And, um, so she and I started coaching and that was, that was where we started was why is that so important to you? Why, why is his opinion the one that matters the most? And that's what started the whole snowball of things during the first few weeks that we were coaching with Rita is when both girls went to the hospital at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, there was a time when Rita had to actually come down to the hospital with me Mm -hmm. because I was struggling big time and you weren't able to get down there. And Rita's like, I'm going to come visit. Okay, cool. But it was, um, me and her started on this journey down a road with me and we started the iceberg conversation Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the iceberg, you always see the tip, but you don't see what's on the bottom. Everybody always talks about Titanic. Had they known that that was down on the bottom, they never would have gone that way. Um, she was doing the same thing with me. I was the iceberg. She's like, you give us just enough on the surface, but I want to know what's underneath there. And I fought. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still processing through all of this stuff, but it came down to a place of, I want to bring Quincy in here. And I just went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I, I want to bring Quincy in here because at the time when we brought you in, we were having an issue with a friend and things between us were going okay. You know, I had homework and Quincy was part of my homework. It was a homework, but not all of it, but I was definitely part of it. And, um, we had just started the marriage module. Yeah, we did. They had, uh, Bill and Rita put on a marriage um, that that was where the rubber met the road. That was the realization that you thought our marriage was in one place and I thought it was at another. And we both went, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Reality check, we have a problem. So um, that's when Rita said, I want to start bringing Quincy in for your coaching sessions. And I was like, um, okay. But I immediately, I was like, he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to change. It's not going to matter, but we can try it. You said that crap. I did. I did. And Rita... Her response was, let's just see what he has to say. Okay. Complete 360. We got in there for the first meeting and everything that I thought you were going to say was not what you said. (laughs) Everything I expected to happen was not what happened. And Rita just sat there and went, I thought you said he wasn't going to do this. I thought you said he wouldn't be willing to listen. I thought you said, and it was just like, okay, 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 okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just back down. Um, But that started us on moving forward because in that marriage um, module, that's where we learned what boundaries were. That's where we learned where some of our hiccups were. So much we learned. Dude, um, that was the- we, we learned where some of the things that we were doing that we spoke about earlier where we were trying to make everybody happy and be everything for everybody and be what we thought was okay had completely screwed our marriage because we weren't being who we were for each other, we were being what everybody else wanted or yeah. what everybody else told us to do. And then it was like, well, shit, what happened to us? Yeah. And it took probably two solid years of regular coaching with Rita mm-hmm. for both of us to finally get to the place where we could go, okay, we only need to call you when there's something we can't figure out. We were We had enough tools that we could start doing things. And that's been what going on 12 years now yeah and that's really what brings us to the close of the podcast which is why we've started this it the the coaching that bill and rita did you know living life by design was basically the the catalyst but that eight week marriage seminar with some of those very same families that we talked about being a part of it is what started to change our marriage because it was deep it was really deep ugly difficult work. Ooh, hard talks. <laughs> hard talks. <And laughs> then, you know, that got us 
that got us to a place where we started saying, well, dude, I didn't even know that there was anything about, you know, I, I didn't really know much about Tony Robbins except for Shallow Hal, you know, and it's like, oh, I could, I could, I actually don't have to be the person I am. I can, I can make changes. Huh. I, I might like that. Um, I and don't then, have to be who everybody said I was. Yeah. And wow. then, and then it was like, you could do this for your marriage too. This is crazy. And what's this coaching thing? Oh, wow. I could have some accountability and somebody who has a different perspective and they could speak into my life and and kind of keep me accountable and, and cheer me on and change. I can tell people who have opinionated a-holes that they can go to hell and leave me alone now. I'm okay to cut these people loose. Wow. Who knew? <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, and then when the, when the marriage counseling or coaching started, it was just, it was like, these, these two people who were madly in love, who just wanted the best of everything that life had to offer, we got lost bad. Yeah, we did. And, you know, we were, we were down, but thank God we weren't out. And we took this marriage thing and and changed we took the personal coaching and i just i poured myself into it because there was nothing on this earth more important to me than you and uh i think we just took a different approach because a lot of times you hear people say we just got piled under so much crap yeah and they take the shovel approach well i'm just gonna move this pile over here and then i'm gonna move this pile. quincy and i went at it with a freaking backhoe it's like just dig this shit up and let's just go at it because the worst that's going to happen is it's going to get ugly. But if we're accepting to the fact that it's going to get ugly, but we've moved everything out of the way, then it's got to get better. You can rebuild the foundation. There's no crap sitting on top of it anymore. We've cracked it already. We've broken it. So let's go back and put it back together the way it's supposed to be. Put some fresh rebar in it and let's go. And that's, that's what we did. But if you're not in that, place i mean it took somebody else getting us to that place to show us the things that we weren't seeing i didn't see that i was depressed i didn't know that i had gone so far into myself that i wasn't i was just existing yeah i mean i wasn't even loving on the kids i was just existing if they came to me and loved on me that was cool but i wasn't putting anything out there because i had nothing to give yeah and it took somebody else pointing that out for me to go, holy crap, that is the exact opposite of what I said I was going to be as a mom. Yeah, it's not, it's not who we endeavored to be. It was, so, <laughs> it was so far away from what we had wanted for ourselves and our lives that night that we were sitting on, you know, sitting, talking for the first time. It was nowhere close to what, we had imagined for ourselves, and we were just two people who were lost and the difference that the difference that <coughs> that uh man that cough <coughs> button i've got to invest in that after we're done recording don't make me cry and i won't cough no more um that the difference that it made in our lives the time and effort that everybody and then that rita just invested but our willingness was the key our willingness was the key to making these things work and it had such it had such a major effect on my life that i had to give back 
somehow for all the good that Rita did for us, number one way of giving back was to be the husband, to be the man, the husband, and the father that I set out to be. And the next way to give back to the world or to the community was to reach men like myself that were not being everything they desired that they wanted to be. And I said, as big of a difference as this made in myself, my life, and my marriage, I have to get the word out. I have to reach other men. This is a mission in my life to reach men because your marriage can absolutely be as good as you want it to. Your life can be as good as you want your life to be. It's what are you willing to do to make those things happen. And that's where the podcast (coughs) began. That was the birth of it. I wanted to introduce Coach Rita to the world because she has reached sainthood in my life. And I wanted to say... I want to introduce this person that changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I want to introduce you to my my life and my marriage and my family. I want to put my journey out there. So while it may not be exactly the same as everybody else's, it is to say no matter where you are now, there is potential to turn it around because we, you know, the, the only threshold that we've never crossed, and maybe you, the listener, has, is infidelity. We've never been, you know, unfaithful to no. one another. Um, and thank God we, we haven't, I think we faced enough, you yeah, know? Right. Um, but with that being said, we are, we are here as a living testament, as a story, to say there is hope to have the absolute best, most dynamic marriage that you can imagine and that your life and your goals and your dreams can go from hopes to reality. And that's what this podcast is about. That's the heartbeat of this podcast. And that's why I wanted to tell our story. I didn't want to put a time frame on it, didn't know how long it was going to go, but I just wanted the microphone open to us so that we could share our story and get our story out there so that all the new listeners that we have could catch a glimpse of who we are, what we've been through, and why we do this, because that is so important. And it also speaks to the credibility of why we can say these things on this microphone, because we've been through it, and Mm -hmm. we've overcome. And that... We've been through it again, and again, and again. (laughs) Yeah, and and we're standing, and not only are we standing, we're, we're better, we're Not better perfect, now. just better. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't ask for perfection. I just ask, ask for progress in, in in the quest of, you know, loving my wife and being a better man and being the best father I can. And it's not without mistakes because we make them. And we don't come from this podium as holier or more perfect than you. We come at it as two regular people who don't have millions of dollars in the bank. And, you know, we don't we don't have fame and fortune we're just regular people who decided to do something extraordinary for ourselves and our marriage. And we still have extremely difficult things happening within our life, but we share it with you to say that you can make it, that you can make it, and that there are better times ahead for you. And if you want to be better, you can be better. Because the way, if this is just the way you are, it's not the way that you have to be. You choose, you decide. And that's what we're here to help doing.
What do you think? This was an emotional one for you. Yeah, it cut me. <laughs> it opened me. Cut me deep, Shrek. It was a tough one, um, but that's okay. Um, emotions are just a part of life. Yeah, finding that out. But I'm committed to it. So that is it for our story. And uh, I'll make certain that our producer, Ashley, gets the E put on for explicit. Thanks to you and your potty mouth. You knew that already going into this. You might as well just put an E on it every time I'm on. <laughs> you already know. That's like every episode. <laughs> um, but there we go. That That's our story. And I guess we're sticking to it. <laughs> Uh, we thank you very much for listening. Um, and don't forget, anytime you want to reach out, we're really easy to find. Coach at manversusmarriagepodcast.com. We're just easy to find on Facebook. You could look me up on Instagram. I'm there. And uh, I don't have a PhD from a uh, high-ranking university, but I got a PhD in hard knocks from life. And all I want to do is help and share that with you. And that's what we endeavor to do. For Jeannie, I am Quincy the Q Diggity Dog. The Q Dog up in this thing. And this is Man versus Marriage. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? You got to live on purpose for a purpose. It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Mary, the podcast.